0: Oh mm-hmm. Welcome back to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. In each episode of this podcast, I look at one of the works of Philip K. Dick. And now we are fully in the 1980s, the last um, decade of Dick's career. In fact, he, he only lived through the, the first part of that decade. And some of his most well known works emerge in the 1980s. I don't think most of the short stories we're going to be looking at in a little uh, kind of a mini series wrapping up his final stories, but certainly his Valis Trilogy, the final three novels that he published in his lifetime, Valus, The Divine Invasion, and The Transmigration of Timothy Archer, these are fairly well known, and a lot of people who come to Philip K. Dick are attracted by the ideas in the Valis Trilogy. Uh, if you've been following my podcast for a while, you know I'm not as big a fan of some of the ideas and the approach in his later works, but I acknowledge that, that the power they have for... for um, many readers, and that said, I think there's still a lot of interesting things going on in these these later short stories. So the story I'm going to look at today is called "Strange Memories of Death." It is essentially a a what I want to say. It's it's basically a a, a mainstream story. It it doesn't really have any science fiction elements. It's in The Collected Stories of Philip K Dick and that's why I'm looking at it and I'm not actually going to look at this at the time it was it was published it was published in the summer of, of 1984 Dick died of course in 1982 so this is actually a posthumous publication but unlike some of the posthumous publications we looked at it wasn't just something that was like thrown into the collected stories when those were put together I think in 1984 this was actually eventually found publication in in a magazine you know, th- th- via via Dick's agent So it's a little bit. I didn't quite know where to put it, and you know, I'm just going to stick with uh, the order that they there are in the collected stories of Philip K. Dick. So um, that's why I'm putting it here. It doesn't really matter that much when we look at these. Dick, uh, for what it's worth, Dick wrote three stories, or published three stories in 1980 and one in 1982, and that's that. Pretty much wraps up the collected stories of Philip K. Dick. Um, there are a handful of other stories, which I didn't look at, mostly because they are sections of, of books. One of these, in fact, is right around this part of the collected Stories in the fifth volume. It's called Chains of Air, Web of Ether. This is actually just passages from, from the Divine Invasion, so I didn't include it. It's the same with uh, the Terran Odyssey, which is just selections of, of you know that we later see in Doctor Blood Money, so it's not useful for me to to talk about them in any extent in this podcast. Now, Strange Memories of Death, as I said, is is essentially a a, a standalone con- conventional mainstream short story. It its science fiction elements are are rather are rather vague. That said, we deal with a lot of Dick themes in the story. We deal with mental health. We deal with kind of the, the suburban life. We deal with institutions. So These are things we've seen again and again in Dick's work, and and I like I like this story for um, for what it provides here. It's it's a very short one. It's only about five pages long. It's a very very quick read, but I think it's a powerful one, and it's it's one of my f- it's one of the latest stories that I that I quite like. So, anyways, um. Strange Memories of Death, originally published in Interzone in the summer of 1984. It was received by Dick's agent in 1980. So that's why I'm looking at it at this point in the podcast. You can find it in the fifth volume of the collective stories of Philip K. Dick. Um, usually the title for that is The Eye of the Sybil and other classic stories, but as I, we have talked about before, there are many different. Versions of the collective stories that you can find out there by different publishers or under different imprints and of various quality of of just kind of production value The most common and the cheapest are the Citadel press ones and and that's the ones most people have access to and the title for that fifth volume in that series is the Eye of the Sybil So anyways uh, with that let me do what I normally do and that's just talk briefly about the plot summary If you haven't read the story or if you you have read it I I just want to have a reference point for for my My later thoughts and then i'll go into what analysis there is it it, again it's not a very lengthy lengthy story um but it's dealing thematically with a lot of interesting things now the background of this story apparently was the fact that dick's apartment buildings in in santa ana were being transformed into condominiums and dick couldn't afford to make the change Um, he was able to afford to make the change but others weren't so this character in the story called the Lysol Lady is one of these people who kind of got left behind by urban development. So we actually go back to an older theme that Dick didn't come back to so much, I think, in the 70s and 80s. But it's an interesting, it's an important part of his, I think, overall point, perspective. And that's his perspective on, on urban planning, too. So that's, that's in the backdrop of, of this story. Um, anyway, so let's go into the plot summary. The narrator has some, quote-unquote, vain thoughts about a woman who tossed him out, but he's distracted by other concerns. Today is the day that the Lysol Lady is to be evicted. Um, now she's an insane woman. She, um, and she's about to be evicted, so she's essentially going to be pushed out into the world that she's not really prepared to to face. And the narrator is is pondering the significance of that. Now the Lysol Lady avoids contact with other people, and she gets her name by the fact that she always smells like Lysol. And she eventually, she at one point sued the apartment complex or whatever to expel some unknown whores from apartments so she's she's obviously mentally mentally ill now the new owners of the building wanted to get rid of her because she was kind of holding up the conversion of, of these apartments into something more profitable now strangely the Lysol lady has enough in common enough common sense to contact legal aid to get to get help this would show her they hope to show her as a mentally stable person and mentally stable enough to get special treatment in fact, everyone was forced to either purchase their apartment or leave, as they're being trend they being transformed into into condos essentially. And then you have to de- the people have to go along with that, right? And you can buy them out, right? Um, you can get them to maybe buy the property and then you know help pay, you know, to contribute to the conversion fee or whatever. But you have to get them along in some way. Yeah, I live in Taiwan, where this is kind of a common occurrence. There's like a lot of these older four-story apartment buildings that get torn down and converted into, like, 10-story condos, and then you have to get the agreements of the people living there, and usually, it's a a good time to make some money if you live in one of those apartments during um, urban development, but, you know, if someone like the Lysol lady's there, it can kind of throw a wrench into that, right? There's, you know, there's certain rights that property owners have, of course. Anyways... They want to convert him into the condo, condos. Lysol lady is kind of holding that up, and then trying to seek legal advice to try to back her up. Now the narrator goes to get a newspaper one day and admits to himself that he that he's really not any different from the Lysol lady himself. People, he thinks, call him the "quote unquote" Cat Man, and this, I think this character is, is kind of a stand-in for Philip K. Dick. He does that a lot in these least later tales. The only difference is that he has the money to buy the condo and she didn't, so she has to kind of resort to these legal advice. He thinks about trying to help her out, though. There is an example of renters winning similar fights in another building, and he thinks maybe there could be some legal precedent to aid her. He thinks about writing the Lysol Lady basically a note pledging his aid he also thinks at the same time about writing a note to his former lover confessing how much she meant to him and why he has these two thoughts at the same time is not entirely clear but it is something worthy perhaps of of analysis that the the thought of empathy you know helping someone with a degree of empathy and trying to show some solidarity with them you know is is that's like the same part of the brain right that love would be right this is kind of similar emotions Anyways, he thinks about the the case in the news about a woman, Brenda Spencer, who shot 11 people. Now, maybe the Lysol lady is as mentally unbalanced and as armed as Spencer. So he kind of worries, like, maybe she's not just the crazy Lysol lady. Maybe she's packing heat. Maybe she's a threat. But he does begin to understand the Lysol lady a little bit more. She has prepared her apartment as the place that she wants to die, but now she's being pushed out of her plans and her, and her hopes for the end of her life are being disturbed. Like all psychotics, she will take the more difficult route, challenge the powerful. And the idea that the anti-authoritarian personality, the one who wants to stand up to authority, is mentally ill is something I talked about in other episodes and in other stories, but I think it's something we can revisit here as we think about this particular um, story. In a way she's like almost the narrator here thinks she's too adult and no longer willing to play the games of the the system and she's actually showing a degree degree of maturity and bravery in standing up to to the institutions so really the the whole story essentially is just these these internal monologues this man thinking about his neighbor and the legal problems she's facing and her mental health state and and all that now the next day the narrator sees al newcomb who's the sale representative for the condo company trying to get these people to sell sell out their property he explains that the housing authority found a new place for the Lysol lady whose name happens to be Mrs. Archer and they are paying her rent the narrator wishes someone would pay his rent but newcomer reminds him that he had bought his apartment and he lost his chances and so he kind of got a you know by holding out she kind of got some benefit out of it so maybe it was all part of a plan to to basically get them to pay rent for her so she could live rent free for the rest of her life you know was her desire to hold on to this apartment merely you know, a strategy or was it, was it a product of, of kind of mental illness and oddity? And I think really the heart of the story is this tension between, you know, just straight up oddity and strategy and, and, you know, autonomy and how the people that are deemed you know, crazy by society, to what degree are they capable of, of being clever and creative and, and solving problems and, and to what degree are they the ones we hold onto for, for, to stand up, to to the powerful right the, the normies in the building of course don't and and, and just kind of go along with whatever's been put before them now I, I think there are a handful of interesting things going on in the story strange memories of death it's um it appears after his death so if you're kind of reading chronologically his publication and i should have probably stuck to that and looked at this a little bit later but anyways it you know it does seem to be one of his last stories it made its first appearance before it did in the collected story. so it, it does seem to be one of his last published tales before you know he the estate sort of took over the publication of, of his works. Now obviously the mainstream story, there's no science fiction elements here. there's no fantasy elements, you know or, or anything like that. It doesn't mean he's thematically and touching new ground though he's kind of rehashing old questions. It does read to be very autobiographical, and in, in fact, we saw s- this event actually took place to Dick, where, you know, the apartments were converted to condos, and he, he bought his his apartment in order to, you know, have a stake in the Condo Association, and there's another woman who refused to do that. Now, Dick's anxiety over being a few steps from the Lysol lady may be only more respected in the community because of his money. I mean, he's he's worried he's clearly anxious that everyone else in society or everyone else in the apartment building thinks that dick philip k dick is as crazy as the lysol lady so um you know that clear that clearly comes through in the story you know almost directly in the text so when writing on this story, Dick was reflecting on how his own strange ideas and strange behavior may have looked on others. And he's writing it at a time in his life when he finally had money. And there's a degree we get asked, how much does money, you know, forgive the mentally ill, right? It, you know, we see people, acting bizarrely all the time. If they're famous, it's just, oh, that's just, that's just normal, right? They're, they can take care of themselves. It's fine. But when we see the same behavior from someone who's homeless, we think, oh, we need the institutions to to take care of them. So we sometimes look at mental illness differently based on our, kind of the financial standing of the person who's who we're deeming mentally ill. And I, th- I think Dick is is pondering that as well. So largely this story is an internal monologue about the thoughts and actions of people on the borderland of sanity. And someone may be considering how near they may be to that borderland. But there's a lot of interesting social issues in the background. Uh, the most prominent of these is the war against the underclass brought on by urban development right and the fact that the people with wealth and and property can benefit from urban development urban planning urban renewal whatever you want to call it gentrification and then there's many people who are going to be victims of it like the people who really can't afford the new fancy apartments get pushed out and the Lysol lady is one of these people who does get forced out now whether that's you know, it, you can kind of read this as she was holding out until she got her rent paid, but she's still being forced out, probably into a poorer neighborhood. Now, except for the, you know, most of the people seem to buy their units, you know, others just gave up, but Lysol Lady's the one who resists. She resists the developers. So this strikes the narrator as the possible sign of her maturity, and he says explicitly that there's maturity in the fact that she resists, although everyone else sees, kind of rides her off as crazy. She seems to be playing a more adult game by creating her own rules according to the narrator. Still in the end the developers win and she's thrown off onto the state, which will pay their pay or pay, basically pay her rent, or the developers will pay her rent. The government eventually puts the Lysol lady, lady into subsidized housing. Now, another issue in this story is the apparent consequence of the deinstitutionalization of mental health care, something that was going on in the 1980s. Now, in this short five-page story, we're given three examples of clearly mentally unbalanced people. We have the narrator, the Lysol lady, the, and a perpetrator of a mass shooting, Brenda Spencer. None of these people, and we got the narrator, too, who's kind of dubious about his own um, sanity, at least. He kind of confesses that. Now, none of these people seem to, have, ha, seem to have anywhere to go for aid, right, except into an apparently ineffective time in therapy. The consequences of ignoring the mentally ill in society is sometimes quite horrific, as in the case of Spencer, but usually they're much more mundane issues of social isolation and, you know, the, the kind of crazy cat lady kind of motif. The Lysol lady's social isolation is a form of institutional violence, then, made possible by a disinvestment in mental health care and of course, of a society becoming more mentally ill itself. Now, my feeling is on, you know, on the way Dick looks at mental illness is he's more likely to see society as a, what's mentally ill, and you know, mental illness is more of a stigma put on society by people who are, you know, don't fit in in some ways. But uh, whatever it is, there are people who are in need of mental health care, and there were institutions that provided that. But over the course of the seventies and eighties, disinvestment in these institutions expanded, leaving people basically on their own devices more and more in halfway houses or in other institutions that really couldn't provide the same level of care that the old asylums do. What are all their problems, right? I'm a, you know, Irving Goffin is right. They're total institutions. They have all sorts of, they had all sorts of problems, but, you know, they were disinvested in without replacing it with more adequate networks of of care. At least that's my understanding of, of what happened. So anyways, that's the that's story, Strange Memories of Death. It's a nice, meaty story about mental illness and urban development and poverty and inequality and social isolation and and, and those kinds of things. I, I think it has a lot for us to think about. So it's a, it's a story I rather like. So um, I guess that's going to be it. I will return in, in my next episode with another story. Written in 1980, and that will be I Hope I Shall Arrive Soon. This one is a science fiction story, so we'll be going back to, to science fiction. We're, now, we're down to only three uh, short stories by Philip K. Dick. So we're kind of reaching the end of his short story writing career. Um, there's a lot of novels still to talk about. There's the Vals Trilogy and everything, but there's, you know, we're kind of getting to the end of the short story cycle. So it's it's been a fun ride, but it'll be over soon. But, as always, thanks so much for listening and following this podcast, the Philip K. Dick Book Club. Uh, I appreciate your, the time you take to to consider my thoughts on these stories. If you have your own thoughts on these stories, please leave them below, or you can send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. Um, but if not, I will uh, be back shortly with my thoughts on I Hope I Shall Arrive Soon. So if you have a copy of that story, go take a look at it, and I will uh, be able to talk with you about it shortly.